I am so excited to be here this morning. I have been your children's pastor. I'm Buddy Ham for the last eight years, and I had the privilege of going down to Orlando, Florida in February to a conference where I met a, um, a couple people down there that their story really touched my heart. And uh, I don't know that I've ever done that in the eight years, but I actually called Randy and asked him if he needs a pulpit fill, I have the people for it. And you know Randy, he doesn't give up the pulpit very easily, but he did. And we are going to be blessed in just a second. As I introduce to you Krista Beston and Grayson and the story they have, I pray, will touch your hearts as much as it touched mine. Good morning. I have to admit I haven't been here long. We came in last night, but I already have seen what great faith your pastor has. And you need to be thankful that you have a pastor of such great faith. Now, one thing Buddy didn't tell him is I have written a book, but I don't consider myself an author. And I am speaking to you today, but I don't consider myself a speaker. I'm a tractor salesman from Florida. Do you know what faith it takes for a pastor to let a tractor salesman <laughs> get up here on a Sunday morning and, and talk to y'all? You got some faith around here. It's awesome. A few years ago, in 2008, everything was going great for me and my family. Our business was doing well, our kids were doing well, and it was getting close to Christmas time. And we were all anticipating Christmas. There's a lot of kids in here today. I can see. Don't you love it when Christmas is coming? You get so excited about Christmas. Well, we were feeling that way in 2008. In fact, my nine-year-old daughter, Grayson, she was nine at the time. Um, do you have a picture of her from that, that time? There it is. That's our Christmas card from the year 2008. She had a special reason to be especially anticipating Christmas that year. We go to First Baptist Orlando, which is a very large church, and she had been chosen to sing in the Christmas Eve services. She was going to sing a solo, and we have over 10,000 people attend on Christmas Eve, so that's a pretty exciting thing for a nine-year-old, especially when Christmas is the very next day. Well, that week, she wasn't really feeling too well, and, and we took her to the doctor because, you know, we wanted her to be better so that she could sing on Christmas Eve, and the doctor said, oh, she's got the bug that everybody else has. Here's an a antibiotic and a, and a breathing treatment, and she'll be fine. You'll be singing on Christmas Eve. Don't worry. Well, as the time approached, she wasn't really getting any better, and I was so worried that she wasn't going to sing. In fact, that was really my only worry at the time was, I hope she'll get better so that she can sing in our Christmas Eve services. By Christmas Eve morning, she was uh, really feeling, feeling bad. And she came into my bed that morning and uh, said she couldn't sleep, so I let her crawl in and didn't really think much of it until her hands touched my back. And her hands were just frozen. And it woke me up, and I was like, man, I don't like that. So I got up, got some socks out of the drawer, and told her to put them on her hands, and she did that so that next time she tucked my back... It wouldn't wake me up. And that worked. The next morning, she could barely get out of bed. And I said to Robin, her mom, and I think maybe you ought to take her back to the doctor. And she goes, yeah. I actually had to carry her to the, to the car. And they took her to the uh, pediatrician again. And that's when I got a call from, from Robin. She goes, we're on our way 
to the hospital in an ambulance. I don't know what's going on, but uh, you need to meet us at the hospital. So I got in the car, and as I'm driving over there, again, everything's going great for me. My only concern was, is she going to be able to sing in the service tonight? That was my prayer. God, I just pray she'll be able to sing in, in our service at church tonight. Well, when I got to the hospital, I found out that she would not be singing. It was there the doctors told us that a virus that she had 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 attacked her heart. A common virus that anyone could have and normally passes through and everything's fine. But in this case, the virus went to her heart. And when a virus goes to your heart, it's not the virus that does the damage. It's your body's immune system because your body's immune system attacks the virus. And as it does so, it also attacks the heart and inflames it. And we found out that day that her heart was operating at about 20% capacity. She had a condition called viral myocarditis. And what they told us the prognosis for that is that one third, if it's not too bad, can heal from it. One third would need a heart transplant and one third would die. We were just shocked. We had never anticipated that. A week prior, she had been totally healthy. And here they are telling us our daughter, nine-year-old daughter had heart failure. So we obviously began to pray for her to be in the good one-third. I mean, those other two-thirds, death and heart transplant, they seem like the same thing to me. And about five o'clock is when this picture was taken with her brothers. And it appeared that things were going good. It appeared that Grayson was indeed going to be in that good one-third. And I even thanked the Lord uh, that... He had put her in that good one-third and was feeling pretty strong about our faith and that God had answered our prayer. She was feeling good enough that the doctors told us we, we could go, and my wife took the boys to my parents' house because she didn't know how long they'd be there. We had to explain to them what was going on. and um, I stayed at the hospital. A couple hours later, the doctors came in and said, Grayson really needs you. She's uh, growing restless and... Uh, um, she needs to see you. So I went in and I could not calm her down. And she said, Dad, get mom. I, I need mom. So I called Robin and she was already on her way back. And uh, the doctor said, she's growing delirious because uh, she's not getting enough oxygen to her brain. So what we're going to do is put her on a ventilator and that'll, uh, that'll help. That'll breathe for her. As Robin got there, we watched something that I hope no parent ever has to watch. We watched our daughter fighting for her life. And uh, at one point, she screamed out, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. As a dad, I can't explain that feeling. Your, your little girl's laying in front of you, and as a dad, you want to do something. I mean, that's what dads are wired to do. I've got to jump in. I've got to save my daughter. I've got to do something for her. But I couldn't do anything. As a mom, Robin just wanted to hold her and comfort her, but she couldn't do that either. We were totally helpless as we watched the war rage. The doctors told us that we needed to leave um, and that they'd be back with us for a moment, in a moment. And when they did come back, they told us um, it's way worse than we thought. And they told us they were going to have to put her on a heart and lung bypass machine. That we needed to go home and uh, get some rest and be strong the next morning. So that's what we did. We went, uh, we went home to my parents' house, woke our boys up, had a little Christmas time with 
with them and then went back to the hospital. Uh, I'll never forget that Christmas morning, that's for sure, as I walked into the hospital and there my daughter was hooked up on full life support in a coma. And the doctor said, there's nothing that we can do for her. All we can do is hope that her body will, will heal itself in time, but there's no medical procedure, there's nothing, no medicine, there's nothing we can do for your daughter. And that's when we received what my wife and I call the greatest Christmas gift ever. Because at that moment of, of greatest anxiety possible for a parent, um, neither one of us freaked out. Both of us felt this great overwhelming sense of peace. And I can't even explain it to you. It's the peace that, that passes all understanding. Um, a Bible verse came to me. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. That's what God was telling me to do, is to be still and know that he's God. And I told Robin that. She goes, you know what? The same exact Bible verse was passing through my mind. And I said, when the doctors said, there's nothing we can do for your daughter, you know what I heard? Only God can do this. And Robin said, you know what I heard? She's not in the doctor's hands anymore. She's in mine. At that moment, we knew that our faith was going to be tested beyond what had ever been tested before. At that moment, our faith, you know, I'd believed in Jesus my whole life, but at that moment, it became so real. At that moment, we had to decide how real it was. Were we going to live by faith? Or was it just something that we believed? And we made a commitment, the two of us, that no matter what happens, our faith will be strengthened through this event. We knew that there was nothing we could do except give her over to the one who created her. Now we prayed, believe me, we, we prayed. We prayed as hard as we've ever prayed that God would heal her, that God would do a miracle, the kind of miracle that he uh, did in the Bible where he raised a child from death, he raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he's done that before. He can do that for us. And we prayed for that. A couple days later, the doctor said, she's not getting any better. It doesn't look like she will recover. And uh, the machine she's on can only maintain her life for about seven more days. But there's a doctor at the University of Florida um, that's done an experimental procedure before. Uh, he's, there's a machine that he can utilize. Um, it's your daughter's only hope. And we believe that she's a good candidate for that. So we prayed about it and felt strongly that this is exactly what God wanted to happen. So we signed up to become a, a medical experiment. They transferred her to Gainesville, which is about an hour and a half from where we live. And um, when she got there, in a coma, on life support, the doctors told us what they were about to do. Um, they were about to put her on a a machine called the Berlin Heart, which would actually become her body's heart. And uh, we'd never heard of such a thing. We didn't think that it even existed. There's a, a picture of that so that you can get a concept of what it was. Those tubes go and connect at strategic places in her heart and actually do the job of the heart. Imagine being a nine-year-old not knowing what's going on, 
waking up from a coma in the intensive care unit of a hospital and finding out that you're on a machine that's saving your life, that's keeping you alive while you wait for a heart transplant that may or not, may not ever come. We were a little bit worried about that, but we were more worried about, will she ever wake up? When she had been on the life support, they couldn't test her brain activity because of the way her head was rigid. But on this machine, they could do a CAT scan and they checked her brain activity and they brought us into the little room that they bring people in to give them bad news and said, uh, your daughter suffered a stroke. Uh, that means she may never move her right side. It means she may never speak again. But worst of all, it means if the brain damage is indeed what it looks like, she will not be a candidate for a heart transplant. It was basically our second death sentence for our little girl. And you know, I told you about how I was praying for the great big miracle because I used to think that miracles were that. Well, I needed to learn a lesson that miracles are happening every day and they're not always big events. They're just step-by-step -step processes of watching God work. And I had once prayed that nothing bad would ever happen to one of my children because I didn't think my wife could handle it. And I figured... I can deal with about anything, but I know she would just totally fall apart if anything ever happened to one of our children. When the doctors gave us that bad news, I will never forget what my wife did. She reached out and touched the doctor on the shoulder, and she said, you have such a tough job. You have to give families like us bad news like this all the time. And we so appreciate your compassion. But we want you to know something. No matter what happens, our daughter is going to be okay. Our daughter is in God's hands. And we know that. Doesn't sound like somebody freaking out, does it? Doesn't sound like somebody that can't handle something. To me, that was a beautiful miracle. And you know what we did after that? We started praying for specific things. Instead of asking God to raise her from the dead... I started asking God, please let her move her right side. Let her wake up and move her right side. In a couple days, I thought I saw her right side moving. And I don't know if it was just my optimism, but I really thought I did. And in time, everybody else thought they saw her right side moving too. A day or so later, it looked to me like she wanted to talk. She had woken up and it looked to me like she had wanted to talk. And um, in time, they felt like she might be able to breathe on her own. And they took the breathing tube out. And I swore she tried to talk. And again, they said, you're just an optimistic dad. She didn't try to talk. But she'd been in a coma for over a week, and her lungs were full of fluid. So if she'd even wanted to talk, she couldn't. So they went to work on that. They went to work on clearing her lungs. And eventually, she, she did talk. And I will never forget what she said. You know, the last words I'd heard her say was, I'm going to die. More than a week later... Her next words were, she looked at me and in the weakest voice I've ever heard, she said, Daddy, I love you. For just a second, I felt I got a bit of a glimpse of, of how our Heavenly Father must feel. When we in our own broken mess, our own circumstance, whatever it is, however bad it is, 
we choose to look to him and say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I love you. I got a moment of how that must feel for him. It's really something. I'd like to tell you it got easy after that, Um, but it didn't. Uh, We didn't know how long, but we were in for an epic battle. It was a spiritual battle, a mental battle, a physical battle. It was all elements of challenge. But we learned a few things in the process. Some things that I think can help anybody that faces a crisis, no matter what that is. And, and that's that when you're facing a crisis, you can look to God or you can look at the crisis. You know, one of the things we often do when we're in a tough situation is we ask God why. I know I was asking him, God, why? Why would you do this to the purest heart I know? Why would you allow this to happen? Why me? Why my daughter? Why? It's so easy to get wrapped up in that question when we're in the midst of a crisis. But something we learned in this process is when we want to ask God why, and he's big enough to handle us asking him why, but when we want to ask him why, a better question is, God, what are you doing in this process? What miracle are you working on right now? What are you going to do to show your glory and your power in the midst of our pain? What should I be praying for? When you want to ask God why, a much better question to ask God is what? Because when we ask why, we're thinking about ourselves. It makes us feel sorry for ourselves. But when we ask God, what are you doing? What should I be praying for? We focus on Him. Another important lesson. We were in the hospital for over four months. We didn't know at the time how long we would be there. Um, If Grayson were to come up here and tell you, you ask her the question, what was the hardest part of being in the hospital waiting for a heart transplant? It would be the waiting. Waiting every day, waking up, having to go through tough, tough day. Waiting for a heart that you don't know if it's ever going to come. Waiting for a heart that you don't know if you're going to die before it comes. Waiting for a heart that you don't even know if that's going to help you. The waiting is the hardest part. And I think... Y'all can relate when you're in a tough time. What's, what's the hardest thing about it? It's waiting for this time to pass. How often when we're in that situation do we begin to ask God, when? When will this ever end? When is this storm going to be over? When am I going to reach the other side? When, God? When? What we've learned in our process is when you want to ask God when, a better question to be asking God is God, will you work your plan? The Bible tells us he has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And let me tell you, we wore that Bible verse out in the hospital because every day, Grayson would ask, when do I get to go home? When do I get a heart? When can I be normal again? When? when God works his plan and his plan is perfect and his timing is perfect. It may not end up the way we want it to, but he does have a plan. When you want to ask God when, a better thing to do is to say, Lord, just work your plan and I'll accept it. 
when you're going through such turmoil, um, you cannot escape worry. I remember waking up every morning that I did get some sleep and realizing that nothing had changed. I'm still exactly where I was. I still have a daughter in intensive care. I still have a daughter waiting on a heart. I'm worried, will she make it through the day? I'm worried, will she ever get the heart? I'm worried all the time, it couldn't go away. But scripture tells us in Matthew not to worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. But to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of as well. The real life concept there is when you're filled with worry, to just no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, to worship. Because worry is all about us. Worshiping is all about him. As we walk in faith, it's all about giving up what we're in the middle of and focusing on him, allowing him to work his plan, allowing his will to be done, accepting his will no matter what the outcome may be. Because that's what the walk of faith is. It's not a leap. It's a walk. A slow, steady process of trusting God for enough strength to take that next step. That next step in faith. I had gone back home on some nights. My wife stayed in Gainesville. We were both there at the beginning, but um, I needed to go back to work and uh, I would generally be at home the first few nights of the week and uh, she would stay there and then we would switch. Um, on the morning of April 15, uh, to me it was tax day. You know, April 15, my taxes had to be done. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking about at work. And the phone rang and it was my wife. Let me tell you, April 15 will never be tax day for me again. I, I will turn in my tax returns. but I'll never think of April 15 the same again. My wife was crying when I answered the phone and I immediately thought something terrible happened and I said, what's going on? What? And she said, I think they might have found a heart for Grayson. And I was just overcome. I didn't know what to think. I mean, I had joy but fear. I, had, I was scared and happy. I mean, just differing feelings going on and finally I did what all good husbands should do and I said what do you want me to do because <laughs> I had no clue what to do and she said go grab the boys at school bring them up here let's let's get together as a family before you get a heart transplant they tell you all the bad things that can happen and and we had told our doctor uh, don't tell us stuff that you don't tell her she's she was shown the maturity that she wanted to hear everything that was going on. So um, she got to hear all the, the bad things that can happen. Um, one of the things that they told her is they've had a number of patients where they went in and they opened their chest and were ready to put the heart in and realized it wouldn't work. So just the fact that they might have found one didn't mean that she was going to um, actually get a heart transplant. And you put the picture up of the... This is Grayson praying with me before she went in to get her, her heart transplant on April 15, 2009. And I will never forget this prayer. You know, I'd been praying, God, let it work perfect. Let everything work out. Let the thing go the way I want it to go, Lord. 
please let it go the way I want it to go. And when it was her turn to pray, she said, Dear God, thank you that you may have sent me a heart. And I pray that this heart will heal me. But even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, I want you to know I'm still going to trust you. Faith, the pure faith of a child. Here I am saying, God, do what I want. Here she is saying, God, even if it doesn't work out, I'm still going to trust you. That's the kind of faith he's looking for. That's the kind of faith he uses to move our mountains for us. You know, I never liked that verse about if you had a little faith, you could tell that mountain to move because I knew I couldn't move a mountain. But I learned in this, he can. He doesn't ask us to move our mountains. He just asks us to have faith so that he can move our mountains for us. I don't know what it may be if you're, you're facing a tough time, if you're facing a crisis, if you're right in the middle of a storm. The best advice I can possibly give you is to not live in fear, but to live in faith. And what we learn that looks like, what we learn from Grayson's prayer shows what that looks like. First of all, we have to believe. Like I told you, I believed in Jesus my whole life. But in this instance, I had to do more than just believe he existed. I had to believe he was her healer and that he could do anything he wanted to do. We needed to trust. We needed to trust. Even if it didn't work out the way we wanted it to, we still needed to trust. If he was going to take her to heaven, we needed to trust that that was his plan. We needed to trust the outcome to him. And then finally, to worship. Again, it's easy to get caught up in our own situation and forget about him because we're so wrapped up in our own situation. And our prayers to him are all about our own situation. And we forget to worship him. No matter what you're facing, believe, trust, worship, walk in faith, and he'll provide you what you need for each step along the way. I'm happy to say everything went well with the transplant. Grayson got the heart of a healthy 15-year-old athletic boy. The doctors told us a little bit about the heart before they were ready to put it in, and the doctor told me, you know, there's one thing I'm really worried about. The donor's quite a bit bigger. The heart's quite a bit larger. Um, but everything else about it is so perfect. And he said, I couldn't really make the decision. And then I just felt like I needed to say yes to this heart. But it could be too big. Well, I found out later that because of Grayson's virus, how big her heart had swollen up, that it created just enough room in her chest cavity for this heart to fit. Coincidence? Absolutely not. The only worry the doctor had, God took care of. The only worry we ever had, God took care of. When we knew we couldn't do it, he 
did it. He wants to do that for you too. He does. A week or so after the transplant, one of the doctors came by and said, Hey, Grayson, would you like to see your, your natural heart? And I thought, this could be interesting. And she said, uh, Yeah, I think I would. So they brought it up, and, and there's a picture of Grayson holding her heart just about a week after her heart transplant. It's a pretty neat time. Um, we found out a lot. We got to see where they had hooked in the, the tubes that kept her alive. It was a, uh, quite an experience. And one of the nurses said, Hey, Grayson, I got to know. What does it feel like to hold your own heart in your hands? And we all leaned in because we really wanted to hear how someone felt about holding their own heart in their hands. And she looked at it and she said, It looks like chicken to me. That's what she said. Nothing more, nothing less. Looks like chicken to me. You know, we don't always understand God's plan, but I don't think we necessarily have to. In fact, we're not supposed to know everything. We're just supposed to trust him. Something that I still have struggles with sometimes today, when I think about it, is that I understand that someone had to die so that my daughter could live. And that's a hard thing to come to grips with sometimes. You know, I, I believe this wholeheartedly in our, in our human condition and it, it helps you feel a little bit better that the person already had died. It wasn't that they died so that my daughter could live. The person had already died. And Organ donation is such a critical thing to keep people alive. In this case, to allow God to do a miracle. But I still sometimes feel guilty here. Sorrowful. But the best thing I can do when I feel that way is think about the fact that Jesus had to die so that I could live. Jesus had to die so that you could live. God sent his son to die for us. And Jesus wants to give each and every one of us his heart. Because when we accept Jesus, he takes our heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. And it's through that heart that we're able to show the world that he lives in us. That it's his heart they see in us. When we become Christians, we all receive a spiritual heart transplant. Next pictures of our Christmas card. In 2009, what a difference a year makes. Are you praying for a miracle? Are you walking through something really difficult and you don't know what tomorrow holds? Please believe me. God is still in the miracle working business. He doesn't ask us for much. He asks us for all. He asks us to put our faith, our trust 
in him. He asks us to believe. He asks us to trust. He asks us to worship. To not focus on ourselves, but to focus on him so that he can work his miracles. And you know what something else I learned is? I've been blessed by an incredible miracle, but that's not the real reason God does miracles. I mean, believe me, I am so thankful to be blessed by his miracles. The real reason he does miracles is to show his glory and to give us a story so that we can point others to him. That's why a tractor salesman gets to stand in front of you and and tell his story. That's why a little girl gets to come up and tell her story. We all have a story. We all have a story to share of how God has worked in our lives. And that's what we're here to do. Psalm 40 says, I was patient while I waited for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry for help. I was sliding down into the pit of death. He pulled me out. He brought me up out of the mud and the dirt. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He gave me a new song to sing. It is a hymn of praise to our God. Many people will see what he has done and will worship him. They will put their trust in the Lord. You know, at the worst times, my wife and I took solace in a and an ongoing thought. We just knew that God had more songs for Grayson to sing. We also were fully aware that we had to accept that she might be singing those songs in heaven. But we sure prayed that she'd be singing them here on earth. And I am so happy to let you know that she's here to sing a song for you today. Come on up. Grayson's 13 today. Not today, but now. So please pray for us, because she's a 13-year-old girl. I mean, (laughs) that's really what we need prayer for right now. If you have a 13-year-old daughter, you know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, when she first came to from her Berlin heart surgery, and... uh, began to talk. I told you the first thing she said, but over time she started saying more and more stuff. And we were so amazed at the things she would say. She was quoting scripture that we hadn't heard before. Um, She was telling us about Jesus and his light. Now he's a miracle worker. Um, He told the doctor that he was, that God was using him to work a miracle. I mean, she was just, you don't expect this from a nine-year-old. It was very clear to us that she'd spent time with uh, her savior. In fact, the doctor said, I've never seen anything like this. This is absolutely amazing. Well, Grayson had uh, told us that, and we were always trying to get a little bit more. You know, you're really interested. Can you tell me more about that? Can you? And she just said, she would always say, you guys will not understand. There aren't words. I can't possibly tell you what it was like. So we kind of gave up and accepted that. Um, We decided to write a book about our um, journey and the lessons we learned, and some of them I talked to you today. Um, And when I would write this, each chapter would be a lesson, and at the end of each chapter, I would ask Grayson to share what was on her heart about that lesson, and we called that From Grayson's Heart. 
So for the last chapter, I said, can you please try to give me a few words about what it was like when you were in the coma and, and Jesus came and visited. And she said, you, you won't understand, but I will try. Um, and she began to explain that when she had been yelling out, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, that she felt like she had fallen into a dark and cold pit and that there was nothing she could do and she couldn't get out. But then suddenly um, this amazing light appeared and just gave her a sense of peace. I'm assuming the same kind of peace that her mom and I felt. Let me read for you the way she described it. The light told me, not with words, but with a feeling that I was out of the pit and not going back into the pit. I knew I didn't need to be afraid of the pit anymore. I felt God's voice and I could hear the light. His voice and his light are the same. He told me he was doing miracles and that I was one of his miracles. It was like I wasn't really seeing with my eyes, but I could still see because seeing, hearing, and feeling are all the same. You just know things. You aren't afraid of anything anymore and you feel totally secure. I knew there was singing going on, but in heaven you don't really sing with voices, you sing with your heart. All I could feel was that I was with God and I was safe. I knew all was good. I knew he had plans for me. I was one of his songs. Like I said, I really can't explain it. There just aren't words. You will know what I mean when you get to feel it someday for yourself. Heaven isn't up or down, east or west. Heaven is where Jesus is. When you are with Jesus, you are in heaven and nothing else matters. When you're with Jesus, nothing else matters. Grayson didn't go to school Thursday or Friday because she was feeling sick. Uh, wasn't feeling good at all. Her lymph nodes were swollen. She had a, a bad, bad cold. And when you're on immune suppressed drugs like she is, that's a really big deal. And we were concerned that we might not uh, be able to make it here today. I guess not as concerned as Buddy was, because I hear if we had made it, he would have been preaching. But um, No, but God did allow us to be here, and uh, Grayson, her voice is not what it normally is, but she knows that what God wants to hear is he likes to hear from our heart, not necessarily from our voice. So Grayson's going to sing a song she wrote about the time that she spent in the light. Um, all right, well, this song that I wrote is called Radiant. And like my dad said, um, when I went through that, I just couldn't explain it because there's just no words to sum it up because it's just so amazing. But um, I wrote this song with my best efforts, so it's Radiant. a sea 
That was incredible, wasn't it? You know, folks, I don't know if you were, if you're following closely and listen to each of those words and the, and the verses in that song, but what you just heard in that song is a real, a real depth of maturity in the Lord, a real intimacy with Christ. And you know, I'm sure her, she would say, I'm sure her dad would say they wouldn't necessarily want anybody to have to go through that. I, I don't want to go through that. I don't want one of my children to go through that, but but it was only going through that that allowed that kind of intimacy. And I think that comes because of that question. What, Lord? What, Lord, do you have? Boy, it's, it's, those questions make all the difference in the world in what we end up experiencing in what we go through. You know, I don't know about y'all, but when they, we saw the picture there of her holding her heart, and she said it looked like chicken, my first thought is, where do they take that girl to eat? Because that doesn't look like any chicken I've ever eating that looks awful <laughs> you know when, when, when he said that we're going to see a picture I don't know what y'all expect I didn't expect that 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 wasn't attractive at all wasn't it, it wasn't red it wasn't vibrant uh it didn't look like life it, it looked like death didn't it? it it looked like dead rotting flesh you know as I looked at that picture I thought you know we're we're looking at a physical heart we're talking about a physical miracle But do you understand that without the person of Christ, that's what God sees in our heart. He said that we are dead. Jesus said it takes a new heart. It takes a new life to be able to see me and to be able to see heaven. And while we got to hear about a miracle of physical life, man, there's a spiritual opportunity, a spiritual miracle taking place every day where a a dead heart, that heart's inside us without Christ. That's what our heart looks like to him. But through faith in Christ, we can have that red, that vibrant, beating heart, a life that beats not just for this world and this life, but a heart that will beat for eternity. You know, you might be sitting in here today and your physical heart might be red and vibrant. It might be pumping life. But what's your spiritual heart like? Do you know today that you have the new heart that Jesus Christ has provided through his death on the cross? If you don't have that security, if you don't have that hope... As we're about to conclude our service, our congregation will stand and sing. And when they do, there'll be pastors down here at the front. Would you take a step of faith for your miracle today? A miracle every bit as dramatic and as profound as that. You tell one of these pastors, I want a new heart. I want the heart that Christ has for me. Let us pray with you and talk with you just for a moment about how you can have the heart that God has for you. A heart that allows you to be born again. A heart that allows you to see heaven. We stand and sing, you come. Maybe you're here today and you have that new heart. You have life in Christ, but you're, you're not connected to Christ's family like you need to be right now. And you believe that God's leading you to be a member here at Colonial Heights Baptist. This time is for you also. Just come forward and tell one of these pastors, I want to be a member here. I want to be a part of this family. We'll help you with that decision also. As our congregation stands and sings, you come.